Welcome and thank you for tuning into the Promise Center's weekly podcast. We hope that this message blesses you and encourages you to take your next step in following Jesus. As always, feel free to check us out at www.thepromisecenter.com for more information on our church, what we're doing to make a difference in Sonoma County, and how you can partner with us. God bless and enjoy this week's message. So I want to turn your attention very quickly to 2 Peter chapter uh, 1 and 2. And then we're going to pray and we're going to get into our message today. And I want to just dive right in because I'm excited about this topic. Kind of a big topic today. 2 Peter chapter 1 and 2 says this. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By His divine power... God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know Him. Now this is epikinosis. This is an intimate knowing. This is not a knowing about Him. This is not I'm dating Jesus and we've been texting a little bit and and He's been, you know, asking me out and, uh, you know, He's been knocking at my heart. This is like an intimate knowing word. Coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. By the way, that's my title for today. Precious promises. We don't own the word promise, but I sure do love the word promise. In fact, when you came in, there was a big sign that says promise center. How many knew you were at the Promise Center? Maybe you came, you, you thought you were at a different church. We're at the Prom- Promise Center. Real, real people, real promises. And these are the promises, watch this. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature. These are promises that help you, that enable you to share in His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Did that just do it to you what it did to me? That's a, big, that's a big verse right there. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for these precious promises that are enabling us to share in divine, the divine, the divine nature, this holy nature, this Holy Spirit that you've poured out to your people. Lord, I pray you fill us and heal us and touch us and speak to us today. I thank you for the church victorious. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this house. I thank you, Lord, for those who you are drawing and you are calling. I thank you for the ministries and leaders that you're raising up in this house. I thank you for our dream team, God, that's serving well, Lord. We honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody, would you say amen? All right, all right. Precious promises. Thank you, thank you. Mari, man, such a great, like, elevator music guy. He does such a great job, really, background music. Love the guy. Let's give him a hand. By the way, that, that third song that was sung, he wrote that song. I don't know if you guys know that. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's on iTunes. I'm going to give a commercial for him. It's on iTunes. You can download it. <laughs> so a couple things. Um, I feel like blessed to be able to be raised in the church. And I know not everybody um, got that opportunity. If you didn't get that opportunity, then, then, then help somebody else have that opportunity, right? 
Like uh, some of you here are starting the legacy in your family. You're, you're, you're generation one. You're, you're the starting point. You're, you're the Abraham of your family. We've got to walk out of the, you know, Ur of the Chaldees, and you've got you've to start that, that journey, and that's, that's okay. But I got, to, I got to grow up in church, and, and I was kind of like one of those kids who, you know, was under the pew during service whenever they, they canceled Sunday school. But I was in, I was in Sunday school a lot, Right? And I, feel, I almost feel bad for people who didn't get to experience Sunday school in the 70s and 80s. Because Sunday school in the 70s and 80s was like hardcore. Like, like if you survive Sunday school in the 70s and 80s, you can survive anything in life. Like there was no safety rules in the 70s and 80s in Sunday school. Right? We had, we had rusted chairs, Right? And if you didn't get tetanus twice in your life, that was a miracle. You just get the mic and be like, I only got tetanus once, right? Because there was like, like, and we, like, our teachers, when they would teach, they didn't hold back. It wasn't soft. It was like my, my Sunday school teacher, she'd walk in. She'd like, today we're learning about eternity. Here's my title for today. Smoking or non-smoking? You choose. And we're six years old going, I think non-smoking. You know what I mean? Like, like just kept it real. Right? And then, and then I remember, one of the biggest things I remember about Sunday school was snack time. And I was thinking about this this week. I, I think I have, I have probably put away tens of thousands of goldfish in my life. That was like the staple meal at Sunday school was goldfish. And then that was, that was half the meal because the other was, this, was orange juice, but it wasn't real orange juice. You know what I'm talking about? It's orange-flavored sugar water. Can I get an amen from anybody in the house? I don't know where they got it. And then we thought, we thought that we upgraded when they invented Sunny Delight. Remember Sunny Delight came out? And they were like, hey, kids, we have a better alternative. Still tons of sugar, right? And we, we didn't have one snack time. We had two snack times because we didn't go to church for an hour and 15 minutes. We went to church for two hours and 15 minutes. And if the Lord started moving, it was three hours, right? I remember most of the time I didn't walk out of Sunday school. Most of the time I was picked up and carried out of Sunday school because my pancreas couldn't handle all the sugar spikes and all the snack times. So I was asleep in a sugar coma whenever mom and dad finally picked me up. I remember several times mom and dad forgetting me at church. How many got, how many got left at church? Come on, somebody. Did anybody get left at church? You got left at church? I got left at church twice. My parents are halfway home going, where's Chad? You know what I mean? Like, like the story of Jesus, right? Uh, I've never felt more like Jesus when I was left behind. <clears throat> but one of, the, one of my favorite things about Sunday school is we, we figured out this magic key. It was the, it was the, it was the we, we, could, we could get any teacher with this. And we would, they would do this Bible trivia thing. And they'd ask us questions about the Bible. They'd say, who did this? Or you know, who did that? Or, and we figured, we learned that 99.9% of the time that the answer could be Jesus, even if it wasn't the answer they were looking for. So our Sunday school teacher would say, who parted the Red Sea? And we'd be like, Jesus. And our teacher would be like, well, no. Well, I guess technically you're right. Here's, your, here's some more of that juice, all right? You know what I mean? Who, who, got, who got Peter out of jail in the book of Acts? Jesus, you know what I mean? Technically, you're right. So 
we, we figured out really quickly Jesus was the answer to all the questions. Now, I'm not going to preach that, but that would be a great point, preaching point right there. But we're going to move on. And soon, soon what we discovered is that every summer at camp time, all of us, as we got older, so we're at a Sunday school now, and we're in the youth group, every, every summer we're going to pray through. Do you guys remember, remember camp? Like, you were going to go to camp, and, man, you're going to have, like, an experience. You're going to run, run wild and crazy for two days and then pray through the last, like, two days, come back. And then what we would do at our church, I don't know about your church, we would have testimony service. We would do this in our youth group. And there was always this extreme response to an amazing weekend. And the two responses were totally opposite. You had people who would get up, and they'd get the mic, and they'd be like... They'd start confessing sins that they had never committed. Everybody was just confessing sins. They were just like, I am wicked. I am bad. I am never doing it again. And then you'd have a whole nother group that would get up, and they would get the mic. And instead of confessing what they did wrong, they would be talking about all the stuff they're going to do right. This year, I'm going to win 100 people to Jesus, and I'll probably be a missionary. I don't know what's going to happen. I just know I'm going all in for Jesus. And we'd have a testimony. We were just all like, yes, man, you get it. And every testimony, it just got, either they were getting worse sinners because they would just try to outdo the previous person who testified about being a sinner, or they would outdo, like, what they're going to do for Jesus. Like, I'm going to the moon. I don't know if there's Martians up there, but I'm going to, I'm going to win Martians for Jesus. And so you had this like two diametrically different responses to this conviction thing that was happening in our hearts. And it's amazing that like these two responses are very natural, but they may not be right. And what I've discovered is, is when you get the wrong goal, you create the wrong plan. And so there's these two responses to sin, conviction, and the call of God. And one of them is prohibitive. That spiritual success looks like, what am I not doing? Or it's prescriptive, which spiritual success looks like, I've got to do more. And our text here shows us that the promises of God, God is wanting to invite us into what we call divine nature. Because here's the cosmic problem. Jesus talked about this. Paul talked about this. This is all through the scripture, right? Essentially, Jesus says, you can't make a bad tree produce good fruit. It's just not going to happen. Like, basically, Paul's like, liars are going to lie. So stop complaining about liars lying. That's what liars do. Cheaters cheat. Haters going to hate. That's what haters do, right? Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, and say, haters going to hate. I feel young already. Haters are going to hate. That's what they do. That is the fruit of what they do. The action, the doing, is based on what they are. So trying to get a liar to stop lying is futile. The Lord says, I want to share divine nature with you. Jesus says, if it's a bad tree, it's going to produce bad fruit. If it's a good tree, it's going to produce good fruit. And a lot of people, when they, when they have a, a, an experience with the Lord and the Holy Spirit starts working in their heart, they go, they, they automatically adopt the idea of behavior modification is the answer. 
And I believe we ought to strive to do good. We ought to be righteous. The Bible talks about the righteousness. It's like doing right. Like, let's do right. But essentially, the work of the Lord is not to get a bad tree to produce good fruit. If I can just try a little bit harder. The whole gospel message is not a message of doing. It's a message of being. Because essentially, you are going to be what you are, and by what you are, you are going to produce fruit after that kind, right? Like, there's no, there's no orange tree that goes, I really, really want to produce oranges. Like, I'm going to try really hard. Or, you know what? No, I'm an orange tree, but I think I'm going to try to produce apples. I just want to really try hard. No, it is the, na- like, the fruit is the result of what it is. And so the fruit of the Spirit should be a result of not trying, but being. So there's this change that's happening in us. It's not behavior modification. It's a spiritual transformation by the divine nature that's given to us through the Holy Spirit. That's Christianity 101. So it's not about trying. Now it's about trusting. It's about not about fighting for favor. It's about standing in that favor and letting the Lord do a work inside of all of us, right? Because it is futile to be like, we're going to get that liar and get him to not lie. No. Why don't we let the Holy Spirit do a work in the heart of the liar and change him from being a liar to being someone who's standing on truth, knowing the truth, loving the truth. And guess what's going to come out of him or her? truth divine nature so he's enabled us to be partakers of the divine nature and so a lot of times church becomes this apparatus where it's like behavior modification behavior modification behavior modification and i get it i get it i understand where that comes from most of the time 99 percent of the time that all comes out of a good place good heart we want the best we we we, we see those works we go this is going to destroy you but at the end of the day it's got to be a work of god right that changes the heart and our response to the work of god is ultimately going to produce that change of heart Here's what I've learned in my, my, my many years of, of serving Jesus. Is the carnal man cannot be trained in holiness. He can only learn pretend. Holiness comes by the virtue of the Holy Spirit that's living inside of us. And so we've got to get the goal right. Because I believe everyone in this room wants spiritual success. Right? I think most of us, you're here on a Sunday morning. You said no to a lot of other things. You said yesterday because we're trying to walk in some, some form or fashion of spiritual success. Maybe you're a first-time guest here, but you're here for a reason. You're not here because it's like the, the cool thing to do. You're here because there's something in you. There's a, there's, a little, there's a little compass in you that keeps pointing north, and you don't know why. There's some, you, you realize I'm a spiritual being. And there's got to be an answer to some of the spiritual questions inside of my heart. And if we get the wrong goal, we'll create the wrong plan. And ultimately, we'll keep failing. We'll go, I give up. We want the divine nature. I heard a story of a guy who was trying to get a couch out of a, a room in his house. 
And so he was trying, he was, you know, you've, you've done this before, right? And you're like maneuvering the couch and you're trying, well, if we turn it this way, if we come at this angle, go at that angle, go this way, upright, downside, let's just chop the thing in half. Like you're just, you're done. Let's just turn it into sawdust. Don't care anymore. So like 15 minutes he tries, he can't get the, the couch out. So finally he invites his neighbor. He's like, hey, I need to get another hand. I need some more muscles. Can you come over? The neighbor's like, absolutely, I'll come over. And so they're working it for like, like 20 more minutes, like trying and trying and trying. And he's like, he's like I don't know why we can't, we can't get the, the couch out. And the neighbor goes, oh, I thought we were trying to get the couch in. <laughs> and essentially a lot of times what we do in our, in our quest for behavior modification, we are a lot of times working against what God is really trying to do in our lives. Exodus chapter 6 and 6. I'm gonna, we're going to put this up on the board, and I want to give you a chance to go there. Um, we talked about being an apprentice of God, growing in the Lord, and, and this, this requires two things. Being with Jesus, number one, becoming like Jesus. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus. I hope that um, and your spiritual, you know, we were yesterday, uh, we had, we were at a potluck and, and on one of the walls, we saw like, like all the heights of like the kids growing up. Right. And you mark it and, and then you see like a year later, of course we were at a home full of giants. Like everyone's like six foot five. So like when they were 13, they were my height. Right. But you could see the progression and there was a, there was an idea like, we're going to get taller. I want to see growth. It's hard to see the growth if you don't mark it, if you don't understand, like, here's where I am now, and here's where, I'm, here's where God is wanting to bring me. So if the promises are the gateway into enabling us to participate with the divine nature, then let's talk about those promises. Exodus chapter 6 and 6 says this. Therefore, say to the Israelites, so this is God speaking to Moses. He's like, I want you to give a message. This is the burning bush experience, right? And he's like, I want you to give a message. I am the Lord. That's where it starts. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. And then he says, I will. This is what we call the four I wills. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. This is what we call the four I wills. At the Passover Seder, they drink four cups of wine for each of the I wills. The first one is the sanctification then they go into the Freedom Act. Then they go into the redemption. And then they go into what is called Hillel. Fourth cup of wine is Hillel, fulfillment or praise, because after four cups of wine, you're feeling really, really good. So like number four, here we go. And so, so this is the Seder. This is, there's a process. And these are the four promises that God promises to his people. And the first one is, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. We call this knowing God. The purpose that God said, I want to bring you out, is because I want you to be my people. I want to take you from being just a tribe 
and a bunch of slaves. I want to make you a nation. I want to put my name on you. I want to have communion with you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want, I want there to be a relationship. And we can't do this in, we can't do this in Egypt where you're building pyramids and building false gods and you're participating in this degradation. I want you to come out and know me because I'm a holy God. So the first thing, we, we read this up here in Second Peter, that he wants us to know him, that by knowing him, that to know him, we enter into the promises. And so we have four cups, four promises, four I wills, not the four you wills, but the four I wills. God says, I will bring you out. And so the first I will, the first promise that God promises to all of us is that we can know him, that we can have a relationship with him. God wants you to have a relationship with him. I know that sounds too good to be true, but I'm telling you, the Lord knows who you are, how you are, where you are. He, Jesus even said something like this. He has the hairs on your head numbered, not counted. Not like, oh, he's got, you know, 5,400. He's got each one numbered that's that's the detail that god knows about you like when one falls out he's like oh number 1374 fell out and of course some of us have more hair on the than others and there's no there's no shame you making it easier for the lord oh that was mean that was so mean that just came out but god wants you to know him he wants he wants you to know him but here's here's what we find a lot of times is a lot of people they settle, for, they settle for nearness instead of connection, real connection. When people say, well, man, I, I felt the Lord. We were there, and I, I felt the Lord. Being close doesn't mean we're connected. I remember we went to uh, Disneyland a couple years ago, and I'll never forget, like, like, we found out that there was, like, a movie star at Disneyland while we were there. And Heidi was like, there was a movie star, famous movie star. I wouldn't even know the name of the person. She would know the name. She's like, famous movie star was here the same day. Do you think we were in the same line? Do you think we bumped into him? Do you think that they saw us? I'm like, yeah, they saw me, the guy with five churros, right? Like, yeah, oh, remember the guy with the five churros? Like, it, it, being near does not mean knowing, right? I, told, I mentioned this uh, a couple weeks ago at, in our Wednesday, second Wednesday service, but my cousin and I were flying through the same airport in the same terminal at, on the same little wing of the terminal just a few gates from each other in houston she lives in ohio i live in california we we're flying through houston at the same time we were near but we weren't connected and i want to encourage you that I, we got to be connected to the lord we got to open our hearts to real transformational relationship relationship matters to God. God says, I'm inviting you into a relationship. God is a relational God. And you can't get to the other promises unless you start with this one, a real, tangible relationship with God. Amen. I love this scripture, Micah chapter 6 and 5. He says, keep God's salvation stories fresh and present. Help Help keep the stories alive. Don't forget that he brought you out. One of the things that I think is happening in our day is I think that Christianity is almost becoming more popular than Christ. Christianity has become cool in some ways, 
and we've left out the knowing God. We, we have the gnosis. We have the knowledge about, but the epigenosis, the really knowing him. And now we, we have a relationship with Christianity, but we don't have a relationship with Jesus. It can happen. We can be doing all the right things, saying all the right things, and be missing it completely. We don't want that. Genesis chapter 12 and 8. I love this verse. This is just a, just a great story. It's a story within a story about Abraham. Genesis chapter 12 and 8 says this. This is the friend of God, Abraham. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on his west and Ai on his east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. You say, what's the point of that? Well, Bethel represents God's house. The miraculous, the dream, God was here, the angels going up and down. Ai, the name literally means ruins. It's a place that like every time they try to build, it just get, got knocked down again. And the Bible says that Abraham was between Ai, ruins, and Bethel. And here's what happens a lot. It's easy to call on the Lord whenever everything is going well and angels are, you see angels and you see miracles and you're feeling real good and it's like, woo, Jesus, yes. Or it's really easy to call on the Lord when you're an AI and everything's ruined and everything's going to pot and everything's like bad, everything's sour, right? And we call on the Lord. The Bible says he was in the middle. There was no motivation by some urgency for him to call on the Lord. He was a friend of God. And just when life was normal, there was no external urgencies. He was able to stop and go, God, you're so good. Yahweh, you're my friend. Think about that. You know, we're prodded by the disasters of life or the celebrations of life. But do we know him like a friend? Calling you up, Lord. I want to know you. The second thing, he said, I will free you from being slaves to them. I will free you from being slaves to them. We call this finding freedom. Finding freedom. So here's our conviction here at the Promise Center that people that know God ought to be free. You say, that, that doesn't make sense. If he got us out of Egypt, then why do we need freedom from being slaves? Because you can be out of Egypt, but Egypt not be out of you. You can still think like an Egyptian. You can still think like a slave. And there's a lot of people who have come to know Jesus, but they're still thinking like the world. They're still, they're, their mindset, they have what we call around here stinking thinking. The old way of thinking, the old way of acting. You're still acting like a slave, not like a son. And so we believe that freedom exists in the house of God. We believe that freedom exists in Christ. For he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And you ought to know this today. If you don't feel free, if you feel restrained, if you feel, if you feel shamed, if you feel like, like there's this weight on your life, I want to tell you that Jesus wants to lift the lid. He wants to raise you up. He wants to build you up. He wants to free you so you can experience the divine nature, walk in the divine nature. Amen. So finding freedom. It's not just about God making life better. It's also about him helping us be better at life. In every area of our life, in our finances, in our relationships, in every area of our life.
God wants there to be freedom. You may be free in one area, but in bondage in another area. Do you know that God can bring freedom in every area of your life? You may think like a son in this area, but think like a slave in another area. God wants to bring freedom in every area of your life. Joshua chapter 1 and 14. What's the role of the church? I'm going to show you here. Joshua chapter 1 and 14. Joshua is headed into the promised land. Uh, Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben are staying on the east side of the Jordan River. So there's, there's 12 tribes, and three of them are going to stay on the east side of the river. The other nine tribes are going to go over the Jordan River, and they're going to have to conquer the land. Watch this scripture, what, Joshua, what God speaks to Joshua. Joshua 1 and 14. Your wives' children, he's speaking to uh, Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. Your wives' children, livestock may remain here in the land Moses assigned to you on the east side of the Jordan River. But your strong warriors, fully armed, must lead the other tribes across the Jordan to help them conquer their territory. Stay with them until the Lord gives them rest as he has given you rest and until they too possess the land the Lord God had given them. So here's one of our convictions here at the Promise Center. If you find freedom in an area, help someone else find freedom. He said, yes, you found rest and we've conquered this area, but help someone else conquer. Does that make sense? He's like, he's like you, you got your land awesome, but everyone's going to help everyone get what God has promised them. So the vision, how we, how we execute this vision is through small groups. We believe that there is power in relationships. We believe there is power in groups. We need rows. Thank God we have rows and there's teaching and there's worship. Rows are powerful. But circles, when we're in relationship and we're connected and we can take the mask off, we can really start to find freedom. And God has designed us not to have faith in isolation on a hill far, far away, in a galaxy far, far away, all by yourself, just me, oh my. You will never find the healing and the power that God intended for your life until you get connected with the body and until you open up your heart and let healing start happening. We repent, God forgives us. But when we confess our sins one to another, the Bible says we find healing. You will never be able to find freedom in areas until we start, you open your life and you say, I'm willing to receive healing, freedom from others, and I'm also willing to help others find freedom. In fact, there's this entire scripture that Paul devotes, almost a, a, part, a whole part of a chapter, this idea of equality in the church. And here's the big idea. Are you ready? He says, wherever there's a need in the church, there's also going to be a supply. So that means like whenever someone, when there's a group of people going, you know, we really have a passion for this. We, we really want to see this. We want to see healthy marriages. You know what that tells me? That already in the church, God is supplying the, 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 the supply. He's, he, the need is revealing the supply that God is going to supply that. And you know where it's going to happen? It's not going to happen in the Vatican. It's not going to happen at headquarters somewhere because there is no headquarters. Okay, it's not going to happen like the, 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 the little gerbil in the back running on a little, little thing and it's pulling a lever and there's like all these resources popping out. Guess where the resources are? The resources are inside of you. You've won some victories. Help someone else win some victories. You have a gifting in the area of finances. Help somebody else win in finances. That's why we do small groups. That's why small groups are so important because the answer is in the body. It's not outside of the body. 
It's in the church. It's in the body. And when we get together, there's so much gifting, talent, excellence, ideas inside of the body. It's untapped. And small groups say, let's open up the floodgates and let's let you do you. And let's let you open up your heart and say, this is where I want to lead. I have a heart in this area. And if you don't know what it is, then get in a group and, 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 and participate in a group until God reveals it. And then you can lead a group. Can I just tell you, we believe in groups. We believe in circles. We believe in community. We believe in relationships. Why? Because we believe in freedom that happens in the body of Christ. Help somebody else find freedom. Help somebody else find freedom. This world is not a playground. It is a battleground. And we need each other. The third thing he said, he said, I'm not just going to bring you out so you can know me and I can know you and we can, you can be my people and I'll be your God. He's not, not just going to make us no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves mentally. We're no longer in bondage in these areas. He says, I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm. And the way we say this is, this is where people discover their purpose. Well, why do we say purpose? Because when you discover your redemptive purpose or the redemptive uh, glory on your life, you're going to discover your purpose. When you discover your, 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 your why, why you exist, you're going to discover your way, the way to go. So here's what the word uh, redeem means. In the Hebrew, it is galel, and it simply means to bring back to its original purpose. The heart of it is to buy back, but the buyback has nothing to do with just the amount. It's about the quality. So when God buys something back, imagine going to a rummage sale and something's broken down. God doesn't just buy back the product. He has enough resource and finance to pay for it to be reconstructed back to its original intent. Maybe the bike is broken, but he knows how to rebuild bikes and make it as good or better. Because what life does is it breaks us down. Some of us have experienced great brokenness, great disappointment. Some of you have like an allergy about doing great things for God because you're like, I tried that, did that, tried that, yeah. Yeah, disappointed, hurt, wounded. We all know how dysfunctional we are. We all live in our own heads. We're like, how could God use me? And God's like, you have a purpose. You have a purpose to know him, to be free, and to be redeemed fully. God doesn't just want to buy you back and be like, hey, there's this terribly broken thing that I bought. It's just sitting on the shelf. God's like, I'm going to restore this thing. Like, I didn't just buy it. I didn't buy the 57 Chevy. How many would love to have a 57 Chevy? Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Anyways, I didn't just buy the 57 Chevy. I got all the parts. I got the original parts. We're going to soup this thing up. It's going to have some hydraulics. Drive down Mendocino. Be like, what's up? What's up? Redemption right here, baby. No, I'm just kidding. God wants to bring you back. He wants to restore it. Joel chapter 2, I don't know if you remember this verse. We're talking about the, the, the Holy Spirit being poured out. He talks about like the locusts, what the locusts ate and what the canker worm ate. He's going to be like, uh-uh, give it back. Like the Bible talks several times about death and then the worm. Like death happens and that's not enough. The worm like comes in and eats you up. 
That's a morbid thought right there. And God's like, I'm so good at what I do. Like the worm is going to have to be like, don't do this, God. Yes, I'm calling it back. Everything that death, everything that life took from you, he's going to call it back and restore you fully to the original intent that God had for your life. Amen? I want to give you a scripture really quickly. It is somewhere. There it is. Ephesians. Sorry. Ephesians chapter 2 and 10. For we are God's masterpiece. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a masterpiece. Not a masterpiece. Not a mess. You're not a mess. You're a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Before there was a man, there was a plan. God built you according to the plan he had for you. So you're like, why, why do I have this certain bent? Why do I have a certain eye? Why do I see things a certain way? Because God wanted you that way. Because the kingdom needs you. Wants to redeem that and use that and say, it's going to bring glory. There's a, there's a certain way you think that I don't think. There's a certain gift that you have. You're the, 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 the kairos, the, 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 the gifting and the grace. It's in you. And you got to believe that. Do you believe that today? I know it's easy to be like, uh-uh. I don't got it. They got it. I failed too many times. Mm-mm. God is so good at using people that mess up. I mean, I just feel like God used people that messed up in the Bible almost exclusively because he's just like, I want you to really, 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 really get this. Everyone messes up. Everyone has messed up. That doesn't disqualify you. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He puts his spirit on you. He anoints you. In fact, let me just say this. The devil didn't come after you. The devil came after the anointing that's on you, the word that's living over you. The devil is terrified of what is inside of you. There's so much greatness and potential and anointing that's living inside of you. John had to remind us of him. He's like, the anointing which lives in you, it abides in you. It's going to teach you. There's a gift inside of you that's going to teach you. The nuance of being with the Lord and that gifting growing. It was, it was Jesus who saw this guy named Simon, and he started, like, whispering to him, Simon Peter. Simon Peter, my name is Simon. I know, but Simon's like a little rock. You're going to be like a stone. You're going to be like a stone, a big rock. You're going to be stone, like, not stone, like cannabis stone. You're going to be a stone, a rock, solid, <laughs> solid. I've got to quantify everything around here. Yeah, stone. I see great me. I mean, this is the guy who Jesus does one miracle in his boat, and he's like, "I'm so wicked." That's what that's what Simon Peter's response was. Jesus does one miracle, gets a, a fisherman sees a ton of fish pulled into the boat, and Peter's like, he's like the kid after camp. I am the worst sinner ever, and Jesus is like, "I know. I'm okay with that." Because I got a plan. I'm going to build a man. I'm going to build a giant. I'm going to build a leader. 
And you know what the key was for Simon Peter? It wasn't his ability. It was his availability. Availability trumps ability every single time. God uses people who say yes. That's why I, I give honor to our dream team. Like these, these people who serve, like they're discovering their purpose. Because what we've learned is you, you, can't, you can't guide or steer a parked car. Like you got to turn the ignition on and start moving and then you can start guiding it. And we're developing, we're developing. And if you're, if you're too big to serve, then you're too small to lead. That's what we've learned. People who are too big to serve are too small to lead. And God is raising up people who just have a passion to make a difference. Right? So this discovery of who we are, how are we going to discover it? Well, here it is. It's real simple. The Bible says your life is hid in Christ Jesus. Pretty cool, huh? Like, I got to keep going back to him. Because the more I learn about him, the more I learn about me. Got it. It's all in him. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. So God wants us to discover who we are. Isaiah chapter 6 and 1, 1 through 4. I'm going to read through this really quickly just because of time. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, proclaim to the captives, be released from the prison. So we're, we're seeing the same template here. You're going to see this. Uh, I'll bring you out, make you free. It's all right here. Jesus is quoting Isaiah. Those who mourn will come. Uh, the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. So he's going to turn it upside down. And they're, in their righteousness, they, they will be like great oaks, that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They're going to be strong. They're going to be unmovable. They're going to be like oaks, huge oaks. And watch this. And they will rebuild the ancient ruins, repaired cities destroyed long ago, and they will revive them, though they have been a desert for many generations. Here is the apex of what the work of the Lord is in our life. He takes the ruined places. It's ruins. I don't know if you've ever been to a ruin, but I've been to a place where it's a ruin. Like toppled over. This used to be a building. Here's just the fragments. And God is going to rebuild the ruins. Maybe your dream for ministry looks like a ruin. Maybe even your reputation looks like a, a ruin. It's been ruined. That's where we get the word. It's a ruin. God says, I specialize in redeeming, restoring renewing, bringing back to original intent, making it better. In fact, I challenge you to look into the Bible. God always does his best work with the second thing. New heaven, new earth. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, right? The new, the, the new Jerusalem, the, the new temple that will descend. He, every time God renews, it's always better than the original. And I want to tell somebody, you said, man, that's gone. It is gone. But he's going to take that and make it better than it was before. You have a great tomorrow. Failure is not final. God is good at redeeming. And so we have the spirit of Ezekiel in this house. We want to see people not for what they do, but for who they are. 
We want to be like Jesus who sees Simon the fisherman but sees Simon Peter the apostle inside of him. When did Jesus find Peter? He found him after a night of failure fishing and got nothing. Why is God so good at finding us right after our failure and saying, invitation time, invitation time, come be with me, and I'll change your life forever, making a difference, making a difference. The spirit of Ezekiel says this. I, lo- I, love, I love this dialogue that God has with Ezekiel. Takes him to this valley where there was, I guess, like a battle. And there's an army just laying there dead, just bones, right? Like all the sinews gone, all the skin's gone, and they're just bones, probably covered partially with dirt. It's old, old battle. And God says, can these bones live? And if you look at Ezekiel's answer, it's like almost a partial yes. It's like a yes with a question mark. And I think God's okay with that. He's like, yeah? He's like, speak. Okay? Dead bones live. And all of a sudden they start moving. And it looks like the haunted mansion at Disneyland. Where we're probably on the ride with someone famous. They start coming together. And the bones start like the, the, the shoulder and the arm start coming back together. And you see two pictures. You see Israel, God, how God was going to restore Israel. But you also see the church. Because there was a second question. Are these, what, what's going to happen now? They're just bones and flesh, but there's no life in them. Oh, yeah, here's the second part. Speak again, and breath will come. The breath of God will bring life. So it's not going to just be a structure. It's going to be living. It's going to come alive again. There's an army rising up, and it's going to be because of the Holy Spirit that's going to make them alive. And so God specializes in the cases of the worst-case scenario. God specializes in the cases of this thing is so far gone, it cannot be brought back. God says, that's what I want. And I want to speak into somebody right now that the plan of God's divine appointment and the divine nature entering your life of you knowing him and you finding freedom and you discovering your purpose and discovering who you are because we don't need a, we don't need a second me. I don't make a good Joel Osteen at all. I don't make a good T.D. Jakes. I promise. I tried. Come on, somebody, somebody, somebody. Shake your neighbor and say, it's all good, it's all good, it's all good. I tried. didn't work. I tried. God needed me to be me. He needs you to be you. Discover who we are in Christ Jesus and walk that out with confidence. And all the broken stuff. I love the story of the guy with the withered hand. Before, Jesus is like, someone in the house has a need. There was a guy with a withered hand. And you know what Jesus did before he healed him? He said, come to the center. I need you back front and center. You've been hiding in the corners. So he first got the guy to get out of the corner into the middle of the room and says, stretch forth your hand. And you know what he did? He didn't stretch forth the good hand. Because Jesus didn't say which hand. He said, stretch forth your hand. He could have easily gone, doing good. No, the man went, not doing so good. Broken. Handicapped. Not able to, not able to reach my full potential. Jesus says, thank you for bringing out the right hand. Thank you. 
for trusting me to make you whole. I believe today God wants to make you whole. I'm going to say it again. I believe that God wants to bring a wholeness to you because once we discover who we are, we find freedom, we're knowing God, then we can really make a difference. And this is number four, the fourth promise. I'm going to make you a people. I'm going to make you a part of something bigger than yourself. I'm going to make you a part of something great. Once you discover, hey, I'm a thumb, awesome. You got to get connected to the hand. Because a thumb all by itself is something very odd. But when it's connected to the body, it has a function, it has a purpose, it has a reason. So we got to get connected, stay connected to the body, stay connected to church, stay connected to, to godly people, believers, stay connected, stay connected. Because what you don't realize in all these action steps, guess what's happening? The divine nature is changing me. Divine nature is changing me. I'm becoming more like Him. Being shaped into the image of the Son of God. Being shaped into the image of the Son of God. Being changed into that image from glory to glory, from faith to faith. Being changed into that image again and again and again and again. And I want to tell you, I want to call you out and say, it's time to trust God again. It's time to let God do His full work in you again. It's time to believe that there is a purpose for my life again.